0: Welcome to the podcast of Calvary Baptist Church of Taylorville, Illinois. I hope this podcast stirs your desire for the things of God, and we hope that your faith in Christ will grow like never before. Now let's get into the podcast. Amen. Hey, do me a favor high five the person next to you and say, Jesus saves. Remind them. I think we all need that reminder, don't we? Jesus saves. All right, I need to survey the crowd really quick, and uh, I need an honest show of hands. And remember, you're in church, and Jesus sees you uh, at all times. But I just want to ask, who has leftovers still in the refrigerator? Just be honest with me. All right. I may ask you in a couple weeks, and I expect you to be honest then, too. Just uh, It'll be growing some things, and then I'll just be a friendly reminder. So, hey, I'm glad you're here in our second week where we're talking about Faith Promise missions. Hopefully, you've had a good week. I've had a good week. Uh, I had an interesting thing that happened this week. Our daughter was in town, and she goes to college in Georgia, and what's really weird is she let me know whenever I was preparing for this message this morning, looking over uh, the message, she let me know she was boarding the plane, and then she was already in Georgia by the time that service even started. So that was really, really kind of a a mind-bending thing for me. Yeah, praise the Lord. She got there safely. Um, so, but we have this tradition thing we've done since, honestly, she was just a little, little girl. And I have taken her on daddy daughter dates for her whole life. And she's 20. And I've been doing it since I don't even know how old she was, probably is just the point where she could walk. And it's interesting because when they started, it was just us going to Chick fil A and it was really cheap. She's like, oh, go in there to Chick fil A, get some Christian chicken, maybe an ice cream cone. And then we would have some fun, maybe go to the park, and then we'd go home, and it was amazing. We just had these great times. And then this past week, we also had some chicken. It was heathen chicken, though. It wasn't the same, and it wasn't Christian chicken, it wasn't Chick-fil-A. I was just kidding about heathen chicken. You're like, where is it? Just kidding. Relax, okay? I'm kidding. But well, we did have some chicken, and then it was totally different because we didn't go to the park. Instead, we went to Ulta, which is like you know a woman's <laughs> playground, I guess. And... I went with it, and she was just, she was looking at everything, and, and she said, she was like apologizing all the way through, and we started on the right-hand side of the store, and I'm pretty sure she touched everything all the way to the end, and, uh, but I was a good sport, and we had, we had a good time, and, we, and I was just joking with her. I said, every time we go to Ulta, and it's the same with Marla, really, but every time we go to Ulta, she's like, oh, yeah, she looks at him, she's like, well, I'm almost out almost out. I'm almost out. Whatever it is. Concealer. I don't even know what that does, but it's just a thing. Like, it is. It is. All right, ladies? It is. It's like, I'm almost out. I'm like, is that your way of trying to get me to buy everything? And the answer would be yes. Um, but I can't because I can't afford everything. So, but we just had this great time. And then we went to Ulta and got to experience that. And then we went to a store that I really like called Sierra in Springfield. It's a new store. It's kind of like my kind of store. It's an outdoor store. All the stuff that I really, really enjoy. And I saw this jacket thing that I really, really wanted, and I looked at it, and I tried, I tried it on, and, and, and I got, you know, Gracie's approval, and she's like, Dad, that looks really good on you, which is it's great for your kid to say that, you know? So she and Marla have dressed me for years, so it was just one of those things where I'm kidding, but not. And so, so she's like, oh, you need to get it. I said, okay. We walked around the store, and then I debated, and then I ended up walking up to the counter to get it, and then... The woman who was working there, she was having a hard time with the card reader. And she was even having a hard time turning the register on. So I knew things were going to go like probably a little sideways. So we're sitting there for like 20 seconds and she's trying to turn on the register. And she's the only one standing there. So we go there to, to, to buy this jacket and and she's like, oh, okay, and then she scans it, and then I went to pay for it, but every time I'd go to pay for it, she would do something on her her end to cancel the transaction over and over and over again, and about the fifth time of that, I was really starting to question a lot of things, and one of them was, do I really want this jacket thing, and I'm like, I don't know, So, so she scanned it again. She's like, well, do you have cash, and I said, Yes, I do have cash. Well, would you like to pay cash? And I, I had this this moment where I was like, and I was trying to, to deal with all of this. And I said, yeah, I have cash, but that jacket is not worth my cash. <laughs> and I didn't buy the jacket. I didn't. And although, because the card wouldn't work... But it was this weird thing because I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm starting to debate because I thought the value of the money in my pocket was more valuable than the money that would be taken out of my checking account. Isn't that weird? Do you guys do that too? Like if I actually have money in my wallet, like it's a pretty big deal. And I, I usually just have pictures of where money used to be. I'm just kidding. But it's like, (laughs) but I actually had like real things in there. And I'm like, I didn't want to, to get rid of that. So I'm kind of, going through, and I'm making this, this decision of what's more valuable to me. And we do that all the time, don't we? And, and sometimes we are put in a situation to where we have to decide in a moment what's valuable, because to me, I looked at that jacket that I really wanted. i still thinking about that jacket, by the way. But like, I think about that jacket, and I'm like, it's not as important as the cash in my pocket, and we make these kinds of evaluations all the time. I mean, some things that we would not even have considered important became really important a couple years ago. Like, I don't know about you, but I took toilet paper for granted for a long time, (laughs) until 2020. And then we're counting out single plies in the house, you know? It's like, you get one square, okay? That's all you got. I wasn't that weird about it. But it's like, all of a sudden, you're like, you start to look at even things like that that seem like they're inconsequential, but you view them in a different way. Do you know what makes us change the way that we view things? Struggle. Usually when we get in the midst of a struggle, that's the thing that reveals to us what's important. And that also is one of those things that helps us to decide what is worth sacrificing for and what's what's worth our time and our investment and our energy. And we have to make value-based decisions like this all the time. There was an example in the Scripture that the Apostle Paul is, is sending this letter to a church in Philippi, and it's a really short letter, and they call it the just a letter of joy because he talks about joy over and over and over, and, and who needs more joy? Amen. I do. And in Philippians, this isn't the main passage, but I was drawn to this this week, and this is what he says. He says, now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He's in, he's in house arrest because of sharing the gospel. As a result, verse 13, It has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of my brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fiercely, Fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But he says, what does it matter? The, The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is Preached. And then he says, and because of this, I rejoice. So Paul has this clarifying moment, and he says, This is worth the sacrifice. For him, being in, in jail and house arrest, however you want to, to term it, He said, this is worth my life. This is worth my surrender. This is worth my sacrifice. This is worth it for me. And he says, even though he's hearing these messages, that some are spreading the message of the gospel for selfish motives and some for pure motives. And he says, it makes no difference as long as Christ is glorified. Because for him, it was worth sacrificing for. He had had that clarifying moment to know what was most important, and not only was he seeing this as something worth sacrificing for, but also as something worth suffering for. Jesus in Matthew nine, he gives a missional mandate for all of us who calls him to call ourselves followers of Jesus. Jesus, when he came to earth, his message was Pretty clear. He gave some epic teachings and amazing circumstances and, and, and rebuking those who need to be rebuked and encouraging those who need to be encouraged and healing and, and preaching and teaching. We're going to see this today. He did all of those things. But, but Jesus said in, in his narrative, talking to Zacchaeus and about Zacchaeus, you remember Zacchaeus, right? You sung about him in Sunday school. He was a wee little man and a wee little man was? Thank you. Yeah. And so Zacchaeus, some of you grew up in church. And that is from Luke 19.10. And, and Jesus said this, this, that the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. He's, that Jesus himself, he's like, this is worth his life. The Son of Man, talking about himself, came to seek and save that which was lost. The people that are lost. That Jesus, in, in such a clarifying mission and purpose, came to earth simply to save some, because we're not all saved. We're not all going to be saved, but to save some. And he gave his life so that we would surrender ours to him, so that we would no longer be dead in our sins, but that we could be alive in Christ. Jesus, in the way that he did ministry, in the way that he engaged people, we see this over and over and over, and this is no different. In verse 35 of Matthew 9, Jesus went throughout all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. I am so thankful that we as a church have been giving and going in world missions since the beginning of the church's existence. I'm so proud to be a pastor of, of a church that for years has, has put aside their own things to see to it that missionaries can go out throughout the whole world to share the gospel. And missionaries, they, their, their call is, is an authentic call on their life to go out into the far-reaching places in the world. And our job, one of the jobs that we have, is to partner with them in person when when we can go, but also partner with them in giving when we can't go. And this is what it is that we're supposed to be a part of when it comes to world missions. You see, to understand this passage, that Jesus went throughout all the towns and villages, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness, This is actually a messianic fulfillment that Isaiah talked about. In Isaiah 61, verse 1 through 3, this is what that passage of scripture says The Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord God is on me because the Lord has appointed me to bring good news to the poor. This is, again, 700 years approximately before the birth of Jesus, this is telling about Jesus. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty for the captives and freedom for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of of our God's vengeance, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, festive oil instead of mourning, and splendid clothes instead of despair. They will be called righteous trees planted by the Lord to glorify him. Jesus himself would would even more clarify this passage by quoting a part of this in Luke 4. And right after he quoted this, he basically said, and and he is the fulfillment of what Isaiah was talking about. Of course, Isaiah is a hero. The Old Testament is a hero of the Jews. He's a hero of us today. Let's break down uh, this this passage, if you will. We're going to first talk about the methods of the ministry. The methods of the ministry. You see this in three parts. Verse 35, Jesus went throughout all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And again, you see the threefold ministry of Jesus. You see that his teaching, that's the instruction of the things of God, talking about the kingdom of God, but not in some abstract way, but talking about it in a way that people can live out in their everyday life. And talking about uh, the 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 ways that the gospel reveals as being revealed through the Old Testament, Jesus would break these down and put these in a way that people would understand. Because again, the mission of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus weren't just some abstract, useless bits of of theological nuggets. Instead, they were supposed to be practical for correction and rebuke and training in righteousness as what it would say in 2 Timothy That's what the word of God does in us. But also, not only did Jesus teach, but also he preached. And the preaching, that word preach, it means to proclaim or to make known. Those of us who have given our lives to Jesus Christ, we are to live our lives with a very simple missional mandate. To love God and to make Jesus known. To love God and to make Jesus known. That's what we're supposed to do. Now, you see, within this, and then also notice the healing of the crowds, of every disease and sickness. I was really drawn to this in my study because part of this this idea of healing was Jesus had a nearness to people. Jesus, he could have at any time, he could have just gone along the the sea of Galilee and just waved his hand or a magic wand and then just kind of like passed almost like a a mysterious spell of a healing spell over all the people and just waved the wand and healed every single person of every single infirmity or disease or sickness that they had. But that's not the way Jesus operated. Instead, Jesus was amongst the people. He, He not only touched people, but he allowed them to touch him. That there was a nearness to Jesus and it's still the way that Jesus operates today is a nearness to his people. Jesus is, is not set apart from you. He's actually near to you. I love all of the reminders in the New Testament when Jesus and others would say that the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is near. Jesus is the kingdom of God. If you and I want to know what the kingdom of God is like... Jesus himself is the message of the kingdom of God. If you want to know what it's like to to, to have your life committed to God and what it should look like, look at the life of Jesus. Look at the faith that Jesus had as the faith that's on offer for you and I. Look at the compassion of Jesus. Look at the clarity of his purpose. That should be the same with us. Look at the way that he loved. Look at the way that he was bold in moments that he needed to be bold. And he was also tender in moments that he needed to be tender. We're still embodying these things today. And Jesus, I believe one of the reasons why Jesus was so close to people is because he wanted to be, wanted to be close enough to the people to touch the people to feel their pain. He wanted to be near to people. And I also believe that Jesus wants to be near to you that he wants to be near to what bothers you. He wants to be near to you so you can feel his mercy and you can feel his compassion, so you can feel his, his clarity of mind, so you can have a sense of peace in your life, that, that Jesus wants to be near to you. That the reality of Jesus is not that Jesus is just, just abstract from our everyday life, but yet it's the life of Jesus in, indwelt by the Holy Spirit through us that allows us to, to have a nearness to God knowing that we're loved by Him, knowing that Jesus died to secure our victory in Him, knowing that the Holy Spirit indwells us so that we know and that we feel connected to God and that we can have the the, the wise counsel of God. But Jesus is the message of the kingdom of God. I'm somebody who, who doesn't mind a bit of technology, but yet, like many of you, maybe I, Uh, I'm curious and yet concerned about the advancement of technology. I just am. When somebody says artificial intelligence, I doubt the intelligence of the people who put it together. Therefore, whatever they create is artificial. So I doubt the whole, it's like I doubt what's upstream and I doubt what's downstream. I'm concerned, right? I just am. I say that a little bit tongue in cheek, but I'm also concerned. But I just want you to know Although technology can be used to send out the gospel, technology will never be able to replace the touch of a human. it. It won't. It will never be able to replace the touch of a human. And I believe that we need human interaction to balance out our technological transactions. We need human interaction. That's why, for me, I've had people throughout the years, not recently, but throughout the years, and they'd say, well, technology, do you think that they're going to do away with the the church? I'm like, no, because we need people. We need human beings, and we need God, and we need something that's not abstract, like artificial intelligence, to to just spit out a little bit of, of logic to us. We need something more formidable. We need something more tangible. We need the touch of a human being that simply cannot be uh, pacified, and it cannot be fulfilling artificially through technology. But we need human interaction to balance out our technological transaction. Now, the terminology technological transaction is this, because make no mistake, although there are a lot of advancements when it comes to technology, it's sure that it's skewed so that you gain, but somebody's gaining off of what you want, and they're trying to create something that you want so they gain. There's no such thing as a free lunch. So about missions, back into our passage. Notice verse 36. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. He had compassion on them. It's the reference to crowds. The second takeaway this morning is the multitudes of the mission. That's the crowds. I love the fact that Jesus didn't just hide off and he didn't just like he spent time alone but yet he also knew that his interaction with people was was key to his mission so he would have times in solitary places by himself to pray but his ministry was done in public in touching distance of people crowds of people people that religious people in that time would have thought they were unclean, people that smelled, people that had disease, people that had leprosy, people that everybody else or most other people would have stayed away from. But Jesus got near to them. Many times in in this passage and others, there's a reference to uh, Jesus being in crowds or the terminology harvest or harvest field. You see, when, when Jesus would be out on the, the Sea of Galilee, the crowds would just follow him from the shore. And the Sea of Galilee is really a misnomer. It's really a lake. It's not, as, it's not like the Mediterranean Sea or the ocean where you can't, where it's just so vast. It's just not. But yet we think of it because we hear Sea of Galilee thinking it's bigger than what it is. People used to look at Jesus out on the boat and they would just follow him along the bank and like wait for him to, to go to shore and then they would meet him there. Jesus didn't just hide off on the onto the boats. He he knew that when he got there, there was other ministry to be done, because it was of the it was a matter of the multitudes of the mission. It was the people, because the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. Jesus also knew as he's going town to town is what it tells us right here, in this passage, as he went throughout all the towns and villages, teaching in the synagogues and preaching and teaching and healing. He also knew that some people came that they simply came to watch because it was a slow Tuesday afternoon. And they had nothing better to do. And we're like, I don't know, what's going on? Let's go see the show. I've heard about this Jesus person. And Jesus knew the motives of the people, and he knew some of them had had poor motives, and yet he went anyway. And he also knew that some had pure motives. And he also knew that there were some in the middle who they, that their motives were turning pure, but they just needed a little bit more time with him. And Jesus spent time with them as he needed. A great example of this would be John 3 when he's talking to Nicodemus who was a, a Pharisee and Jesus met him at night. Nicodemus went to Jesus at night, probably because he was afraid of going in public and being seen, but he went there at night and Jesus made a way, in John 3, two key passages that say so much about the life and ministry of Jesus. In John 3, you see Jesus talking uh, to Nicodemus the Pharisee and just talking to him, helping him logically reason through the gospel. And then you just go and just in the flow of your reading into John 4 when Jesus is having this interaction with with the woman at the well. And you see just the vastness of Jesus' approach to people. Because the woman at the well didn't need the same approach that Nicodemus, N- Nicodemus needed, and Nicodemus didn't need the same approach that the Samaritan, a Gentile, somebody who was kept away from, from the, the Jewish rights and privileges. They needed two different things, and Jesus knew what they needed. Jesus cared about the multitudes of the mission. He cared about people. He still cares about people. I shared this statistic a few weeks ago. And this came from uh, the Barnard Research Group. And this is what it said. that Champaign, Springfield, and Decatur ranks 53rd on America's top churchless cities considering this area, a, a, church, the, the, uh, a city group, really, just this region. We are the 53rd in America for the top churchless cities. That may shock you. It may shock you because you've been in church, either in this church or another church, for so long, and all of your friends are here. And and maybe it shocks you because your whole your whole peer group is here, and because you spent so much time here, you don't think about people that are lost who are not here, or thinking about what's going on in our culture around us because we're simply thinking about what's going on in here. But this non bias survey through Barna really shows us the need of Jesus in our community. Here's what's confusing. Same research group, nearly three out of four people call themselves Christians, even amongst the least Christianized cities. Now reckon those two things. Good luck. I've been trying. We rank of, of the 53rd in the America's top churchless cities, and yet three out of four people still call themselves Christians. How do we reconcile the difference? I would say this. People are confused at best and lost at worst. They don't know what it means to be a Christian. They don't know what it means to be redeemed. Maybe they just think it's some intellectual thing and not, not truly giving your life over to God because that's what the gospel compels us to do. Jesus died for you. So you can truly live for him. The great exchange. He died for you. He died the death you deserved to give you the life that you don't deserve. The message of grace. Let's talk about the motivations of the mission. The motivations. Notice in verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He saw them for who they were. He saw their struggle. He had compassion on them. The, the word compassion. It, I'll try and use it in a non-gross way. Although it really does have kind of a gross inclination. It means. In, in, just give you an analogy. If, if you've ever been anxious about something and you're anxious in your mind and you're, you're mulling things over and then all of a sudden you have an upset stomach and you can't eat you feel like you're going to throw up it's the same idea that's conveyed here when Jesus had compassion on them it was a stirring not of the intellect but of the bowels he was that he was that concerned when he saw the, lost, the lostness of the people he was that concerned. He had a, a love for the people, and he knew that these people, that they were destined for a hell, and, and yet he knew that the work of the cross was coming and all of that, but yet he saw the lostness of the people, and it stirred him not in an intellectual way, but, but to the core of him. Because many times what, we, what we're really concerned about, what we become anxious in the mind about, is revealed in our gut. And that's what's being conveyed here. You see the level of, of motivation here. So much so that Jesus would, would go to the cross showing his love. Not just saying, I love you, but proving it by what he did. Isaiah 53 Says this, talking about Jesus. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, and familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he, Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds, We are healed. That's the motivations of the mission. Jesus suffered for our sin, but also our stupidity. The things that we knew better, but yet we still went our own way. The times where we missed the mark. And that's what sin is, where we truly just missed the mark of God, where God had a glorious standard for us and we went rogue and did our own thing. Jesus died for you in that moment. He died so that you wouldn't live with the punishment and penalty that goes with that death. But He took the, the punishment and penalty of that death and put it upon Himself, taking our infirmities, our iniquities. Jesus suffered. So that we can actually have life connected to God the Father. I said at the onset that the core mission for all of us is to to love God and to make Him known. That's what we are about. That is the heartbeat of why we do what we do. Whether it's us sending out foreign missionaries or us having a ladies' brunch like we're gonna have next week, it's all the same mission. It's because we love Jesus and we want to invite you to love Jesus more or to begin to love Jesus. And also we want to make him known to the world. Because we are a church for God, for the city, for the nations. All of these things are are bundled into one, into our mission. Speaking of mission, I love what John Piper said about missions. He says, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church, worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. Go, send, or disobey. The ultimate issue of life is not where of our calling, but whether we're willing to obey and make him known among the nations. But we have to see people differently. I had an experience with Brian. Actually, we were on a video shoot in Chicago a month or so ago. And I had an experience where I started to see people differently. We went up there with the intent of, of just capturing some, uh, capturing some videos to get, again, to, to show that we love Jesus and to make him known. And we stumbled upon uh, this in a park. Play the video if you would. Sometimes it's hard to get outside of our reality. I'm in the middle of a park in a metropolitan city. Millions of people live here. And as I was walking through the park, which is absolutely stunning and beautiful, I stumbled upon this pillow, and I believe this is gonna be a place where somebody sleeps tonight. This is their pillow. And it just dawned on me, for perspective's sake, I'm gonna sleep in a very comfortable bed tonight with my own pillow, and somebody else is gonna sleep here. Maybe for us to have a better understanding as to what it is that we're supposed to do in the world, is to have more sympathy or even empathy for people around us by starting to see people ...as they really are in the place that they are. That was hard-hitting for me. I I didn't plan any of that video as we're just walking along... ...and just capturing um, different videos of different themes... ...and we just stumbled upon that pillow. And what is not seen is just beyond that pillow... uh, ...there was just a little bit of a knoll... ...and down from the knoll there was just a blanket... ...and you could see that it was... uh, ...that had been slept on recently... And all of the grass around it was pushed in because whoever it was was sleeping in the tall grass not to be seen by other people. see for us it was just just kind of a happenstance thing God saw to it but i didn't know i didn't know it but what it did was it triggered me to see people differently and I think for all of us we need to see people differently and also I think that we need to feel differently about the lostness of the people that are around us and when we look at passages Like this one, that Jesus, when he said uh, to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. I think that we need to take these things seriously, and we also need to affirm others who've actually heeded the word of God in this way. And I would like to bring to the stage one of our missionaries. Jim, if you would come forward, please. Jim and Phyllis have been our missionaries for 45 years. 45 years. And they are missionaries to Panama doing amazing things. And I would love for you to share, brother.
1: It's our pleasure to be with you, and we thank you for these 45, 46 years of faithful support to our ministry. But I do want you to understand that we practice what we preach. I know you're going through your faith promise challenge right now, and we do faith promise in Panama as Mm -hmm. well. We were hit pretty hard with the, the pandemic. Our churches were shut down for close to a year. When we were finally allowed to start up, we got started but on a slow track. We still haven't got all of our people back yet. Hmm. Some have decided that it's neat to stay home and watch church in your pajamas.
0: Wow, that doesn't happen in America, Jim. (laughs) Not at all. So random. That's just happening in Panama. If you're at home, I hope to see you next week at church. Continue, Jim.
1: Yes, thank you. I am presently pastoring a church where the pastor died of COVID Hmm. at the very beginning of the pandemic been there for a little over three years. We were closed down tighter than you were. I had another ex-missionary to Panama tell me when I, and he was starting a Latin church in, in the States, and he said, when I get frustrated with what's going on here, I go back and read your updates about what was going on in Panama. Well, we got started again, and right away I decided we need to start emphasizing missions right away. So we got back on track and started giving to faith promise again without a conference. And so our first month, uh, we had a special situation with one of our pastors who started five other churches in the mountains and for three of his churches were affected by floods. So everything we brought in in the first month of activity we sent to that church the next month we found out that the church was supporting a missionary before the shutdown and so all this time he hadn't gotten any support so the next month all of our money went to that missionary the next month i found out that the church had supported some other missionaries in the past but they were only supporting one at a time so we decided to support all three missionaries that with our faith promise that was coming in, we just divided it by three, and they got $30 a month as we gone along. Well, as that was progressing, missions money was still increasing. So one of my sons in the faith was now a missionary in Ecuador, and so I sent him a note saying that every once in a while we have an extra $30. So we're, and we have another $30. We will send you $30 a month. That was the first month uh, that we did that about 14, 15 months ago, and he's never missed a month yet. Now we have another young man who had been in our church as a child. He moved away. His mom and dad were saved and baptized at our church. They moved to another location. They were involved in a church. Now he had gone to institute. He was graduated and now starting a church And so we sent him a note saying, every time we have another $30, we're going to send you support. When I left Panama, they were still supporting him $30 a month as well. Now I'm talking to these guys about starting to increase our missionaries $5 a month when we can. So we want to practice missions because that's the heart of God. And so we practice what we preach along the way. And so in this process, I want to thank you for letting us do the ministry that God has called us to do. I found out I was supposed to be a missionary in Panama after I dropped out of Bible college, ended up in the Army. The Army sent me to Panama. There I got reactivated serving the Lord, and the Lord made it very plain that we were supposed to be missionaries in Panama. So we've been there Now, 45 years, plus I had four years in the Army. So uh, we spent the major portion of our life there serving the Lord, and we have no timetable to quit. So we're here for the duration or to the rapture, whichever comes first. I prefer the rapture, but we'll take whatever the Lord uh, sends us along the way. So we're in a church right now. We're creating uh, leadership in the church. Right now, two men are in in leadership for the last three months. I'm going home. Next Sunday, I'll be in my church in Panama. And so we look forward to that experience, and we will see how far the leadership has matured because I'm expecting by the middle of next year, we will be able to turn that responsibility over to local uh, uh, laborers, pastors, workers, and then we will go find another job somewhere else. So thank you for letting us be involved. In the 45 years, we've started churches. We've helped others start churches. We've started other churches through medical missions. And then we've done replacement work for missionaries who are on, on the field. And then we went back and did correct uh, correction ministries in other churches that needed some help to get out of problems. And so I'm just wondering what my next job is going to be. (laughs) Because the last three churches I pastored, I did not plan to go there. So keep praying for us that God will give us the opportunity to continue ministry as would be best for uh, raising up Bible-preaching churches that Uh, start churches. May the Lord bless you.
0: Amen. I would like to pray over you, Jim, if I can. Would you all stand, please? Lord God, I just thank you for just the faithfulness of Jim and Phyllis. God, I thank you for their answer to the call to serve all these years in Panama, loving on those people. God, you've allowed him uh, and Phyllis both to be a part of some great works, planting churches, discipling, releasing, planting, discipling, releasing. God, I thank you for the years of faithfulness. I pray that you just bless this great man and woman of faith. God, bless them with uh, uh, just more fruit in their ministry, with clarity of mind. And God, I know that you've already burdened uh, their heart for the people of Panama. And I just ask God that you just keep that fire stoked. We pray that you just bless them and keep them in the travels back home. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. 45 years of faithful missions work.